Hello and welcome to another episode of the Barefoot Mediator podcast, news and views from Jane Gunn and guests. In this episode, I speak with Olivia James, who is a Harley Street personal performance specialist. She treats public speaking anxiety, lack of confidence and trauma. She has a client base she needs to be very discreet about, including senior leaders in the legal and financial sectors, philanthropists and public figures. Olivia can reveal that one client she treated for stage fright went on to become a UN ambassador. Her area of expertise is psychophysiology of performance, confidence and trauma. It's not all in the mind. The nervous system is the key to unlock performance and confidence. So welcome, Olivia. Thank you. Now, um, Olivia, you uh, are fascinated, well, I'm fascinated by your experience in anxiety, lack of confidence and trauma, because this series is all about how we're going to sort of move out of the, the crisis that we're in. And of course, we are living in a time of anxiety and trauma. So um, I'm, I'm going to be interested to hear your take on that. But Olivia, tell us first about your, your background and how you come to be doing what you're doing now. So uh, thanks, Jane. So yeah, my background is uh, I'm a complementary therapist, and I've um, I've been like working with people since like the mid '90s. I started off doing uh, things like body work, and I soon realised that lots of people have lots of trauma, psychological trauma stored in their bodies, mm-hmm. and. I went through a divorce, which was really not fun. It was pretty traumatic. And I had a session with a woman who did a thing called tapping. And um, there were were tears. It was pretty messy. But I realized that this was actually really good therapy. So I decided to train in it and then added lots of qualifications uh, in different therapeutic modalities that that help to treat anxiety and trauma sort of at the root. So basically in the body as well as in the mind because most of the time anxiety and trauma are not only felt in the mind they're also felt in the body so my approach is really to to really start with the body and use we call it somatic experiences to to treatment so that's basically that's what I do uh, and my background in a in a nutshell oh fascinating so i'd love to explore that a bit a bit more as we as we chat but but what do you make of the times that we're in olivia you know this t- the time we're sort of coming out of covid we hope you know lockdown and so on but we've been through a year of real um societal trauma haven't we Absolutely. Yes, I, I, I describe this as a, as a collective trauma. Mm. And for many of us, this has been the first time in our lifetime, really, that, that our physical survival has been uh, in danger for many people, including professional speakers, all of a sudden, you know, the, 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 the work for many speakers, for example, has dried up and, and we are faced with the possibility of not having enough food. Many families are facing for the first time ever those really basic threats to our survival and of course like the the idea that that somebody else that we see in the street is a potential can infect us and is potentially responsible for our demise Mm. this is all adding to the trauma so we definitely had a collective trauma with the covid but also we're dealing in we're dealing with a huge amount of political violence and when you look at things like the capital riots where there is a lot of trauma 
and what I what's known as vicarious trauma. So us witnessing trauma can actually be traumatizing. For example, if you witness something horrible happening and you are powerless to do anything about it, it is like experiencing a trauma. It's 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 a known thing in in the therapeutic world. So we've had not only this sort of collective trauma, but we've also had like vicarious trauma and then added to that, you know, the racial tensions that we've seen, the the, the Black Lives Matter movement, we've seen the, the the like the Asian hate crimes in America, we've seen the, the um, you know, the murder of Sarah Everard, we've seen so many different things happening where we are, many of us are in a state of hypervigilance and feeling permanently under threat and not quite knowing what to do with that feeling. Yes, I, I, I sense almost that many things are coming to a head at the same time, Olivia, and that, you know, for for all of us, it's quite hard to get a handle on that. So do you do you have any sort of thoughts on how as individuals we can process some of this trauma that's coming to a head right now? Yes, yes, I do. Uh, so what, what's important, we need to learn for each of us how to how what's really important to us in our lives like most of us have been in lockdown either with with a partner or a family or completely on our own so we've had to learn what do i actually need to be well how can i make the best of this um i've i've been quoted in various newspapers about the importance of of hobbies and things like tending plants and pottering and all those things that can help us be well um so the other thing of course we need you know there are lots of cliches about we are you know connect more connected than ever but also we are the loneliest ever so we need to basically work out what do i need to be well what do i need to 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 survive and how you know there are some really simple things that often when we get stressed that we we overlook i know you take care of pretty good care of yourself and it shows in your the way you look and your demeanor so and many of many people seem to have kind of forgotten how to take care of themselves and they wonder well i don't drink enough water i don't i'm on my phone the whole time i don't sleep well i don't take exercise i eat rubbish food i don't really have any meaningful hobbies yeah of course i'm going to feel rubbish <laughs> do you know what i mean i think we've overlooked a lot of the very simple things that that humans need yes it's interesting, Olivia. It does seem like we're going back to basics. I know my husband has created what I call his victory garden at the end of the, of the garden, and he's dug up half the garden and planted a lot of vegetables. And that seemed to him to be, you know, an important thing to do this time last year and has given him something to sort of get lost in, if you like. Absolutely. Yes. And I think many of us, are, and I've, I've been quoted about this in various papers, I think the idea that that we look back at our grandparents and what they did like and it was things like gardening it was things like hobbies it was things like making stuff being creative building things you know like reading like whatever like crafting you know needlepoint whatever it is they were they were doing it they they knew how to sort of take care of themselves you know and how to give meaning to their lives beyond work so I think one of the questions I was going to ask you, and I think you're almost answering it there is, you know, what are we learning? And perhaps, and you know, perhaps you can expand on this, but I think perhaps we're learning 
to go back to some of these basics to realize that life is more than just work and socializing and actually you know having some hobbies that absorb us is important you know those basic things that perhaps we've forgotten but but what else do you think we're learning olivia uh well i think some people are not learning that's the problem mm. <laughs> some people are not learning and they are you know it's so easy to like to, to get stuck on your phone like have have screen time basically every waking hour uh, and i think lots of young people i talk to they 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 haven't they're you know lots of young people are very very anxious they're dealing with some really difficult stuff they're dealing dealing with difficult economic climates and they they are lost you know they don't know they've got nothing to hold on to apart from these screens and um so i think it's important to learn it, but I don't think any everybody is learning it, unfortunately. And I was really interested at the beginning, you said it's not all in the mind, it's also in the body. And I'd like to dive a bit deeper into that. Tell me what you mean about it's in the body and not in the mind. Um, so when it comes to something like anxiety, when a person is anxious, they, they don't only having anxious sort of catastrophizing thoughts, but they're also having physical symptoms. They might be shaking a little bit. Their digestion is off and off. Mm. Uh, you know, they feel sort of jittery and shaky and, and jumpy. So, and then, and the other is sort of, and then suddenly when you get to more serious conditions like post-traumatic stress disorder, once again, it isn't just in the mind. People aren't just having flashbacks in the mind. They're also having physical symptoms of utter dread, horror, you know, um, shaking, uh, you know, depression sometimes, like catatonic states of depression. So it isn't just in the mind. There, there, there came a point in the Enlightenment when, you know, the mind and the body were separated. I think Descartes had a lot to answer for in that in that sense. Uh, who's, you know, um, so I think now, and of course the Romans had the um, the healthy mind, healthy body, and I think we're we're sort of gradually coming round again to the fact that everything is connected and there's a particular uh, vagus nerve the vagus nerve that's responsible for a lot of this that's getting more um more attention now um so there um, for example for for a thing like post-traumatic stress disorder people are often offered counseling now counseling alone in my sort of clinical experience and my uh, my training as a trauma therapist on the whole when it when somebody's traumatized the, the trauma occurs in a different part of the brain and the body than Broca's area, which is where language is protest, uh, processed. Mm -hmm. So you could be having a trauma, like a hideous thing happened to you, and you just telling the story alone isn't going to help you with flashbacks or getting triggered by something or a look that somebody gives you or a certain medical situation that reminds you. So I think we... I think many, many clinicians are coming around to the fact that the mind alone, well, the mind doesn't exist in a vacuum. It's, it's you know, it's all connected. And I think we've, for, for too long, I think we've tried to look at mental issues sort of in isolation. We call it, one of my, uh, one of my friends and psychotherapist colleagues calls it reductionist bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. I like that. <laughs> yeah. 
So, Olivia, if we, you know, some of the ways to deal with what we're going through now um, might be, you know, understanding this creative side of us that uh, having hobbies, uh, rediscovering things like I, I was really enjoying watching the joy of painting on television, mm. that, that as you know, and we've all loved the repair shop and things like that. So I can see the attraction um, of, of those things now to help calm the mind. But in terms of processing the trauma so that we're not triggered by whatever trauma we've been through this year in the future what what might people do along those lines um there, well, there are certain therapies uh that, that 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 i can recommend um there are some therapeutic approaches that can really really help us because what happens is when we witness trauma it gets sort of stored in the body until it can be discharged. If you look at an animal in the wild, there's some brilliant videos that I got shown when I was training where you see an animal that's been, that's escaped, potentially being eaten. Once it's safe, it will shake and it will discharge some of that tension. Then it, and then it will hop up and like carry on. And it's not forever haunted by, oh God, a lion might, you know, it's, it's alert and aware, but it, it, you know, it, it doesn't, um, it's not affected beyond that. So there are various different therapies that I'm trained in where people can literally discharge some of that tension from the body uh, and the mind as well. So I think approaches like that are really helpful. And for most people, um, getting a sense of perspective can help. Humor is very important. Mm. People like working with a therapist who really gets them um i mean some therapy some talk therapy can be very you know i had a friend who whose wife died really young at the age of 42 and he was having counseling and the counselor kept saying to him well how do you feel about that and he was like how do you think i feel you know there, there is a point where that sort of talk therapy isn't helpful um Mm. One of the things that that can be incredibly helpful is a is a good rapport with a with a therapist. So if you have a, a therapist who really gets you, who you feel safe with and like seen with, that can be very healing. But I think a lot of talk therapy can be actually quite you know um, it can can emit, can miss the mark. Uh, I know that you know in America there are people who have like an analyst for like ten years, and then they have an analyst so they can talk about the relationship with the original analyst. You know, <laughs> I mean, it all gets a little bit ridiculous. Yes. Um, so, uh, but but no. To answer your question, I think it is finding a way to actually sort of really really locate relocate our own bodies. I think. When we are in trauma, there's a part of us naturally that wants to dissociate or numb. And so some of us, I think, are a little bit zoned out and we can be quite functional, but still quite dissociated. Mm. Um, so I think uh, it, it's a really good idea to, to find what works for you and also like to get the right sort of help. Uh, but it's not an easy, it just isn't easy. I can't just give you like one easy solution that's going to work for everybody. Because bear in mind, like everybody, this pandemic has been one trauma, the racial trauma, you know, the, the, the sexual violence, the harassment, all that stuff. But that's in addition to everybody's personal trauma, their childhood traumas, their, yeah. th there may be boarding school stuff, like, you know sexual like assault rape abuse all these things like 
being bullied, all these things that, that for, for many of us are all already there and have already not been processed. And then on top of that, we've had the pandemic, the political violence, like for many people in America, like, you know, watching the Trump administration was incredibly traumatic. You know, lots of people were traumatizing. This reminds me of my abuser who got off free, you know, some people seem to be able to just do what they want and there's no sort of redress. There seems to be no justice. So it's, it's, a, it's a complicated issue. It's fascinating. And as you're talking, I'm thinking of my work as a mediator where people come to me when they're in conflict and often there's a lot of buried trauma there or there's a lot of trauma that they're bringing to the table. So um, I'd be interested to chat to you more on another time about mm -hmm, absolutely that, about that within the mediation process absolutely so one of the things i want to think about or two things i want to think about is each of us individually as leaders as we move forward so how can each of us what can each of us do to lead us forward um i'm very interested in what kind of culture what kind of society we all want to see post uh, this crisis and and how it's up to each of us individually to help create that and I wonder what thoughts you might have on that Olivia yeah absolutely so certainly like the happier and the more, more well regulated we are as leaders as like therapists as coaches as mediators the better we can do our job so that that is one. And then also to, to really create a culture of psychological safety. What tends to happen often, I think what you're referring to that some of the people that you worked with, often if somebody has not been believed or has been betrayed or has not been heard, it, they become really more difficult to deal with because there was so much undealt with trauma, like running their, their current behavior, that it, it can be really, really difficult to work out are they is is this about now is this about the past mm -hmm. and um so as leaders i think we need to be really sensitive to that and also i think we need to be much more open about if we've made a mistake we need to say it instead of like pulling down the shutters and just pretending everything's fine so i think sort of like a culture of um of like safety, of openness, and of like admit being a willing to admit mistakes, and also being willing to admit when you've changed your mind. I think that's a really good start. That's fascinating, Olivia, because some of the organisations I'm working with are beginning to realise that this is what leadership actually looks like. It is about vulnerability. It's about creating safety. And it's about being open and honest. So I'm, I'm really glad you've highlighted that. Yeah. Um, Brene Brown, of course, talks about strategic vulnerability. I mean, there is no Brene Brown for people who don't know who are listening. She's like the, the, the a researcher who's like the queen of vulnerability. And she talks about she cautions against leaders oversharing. Mm -hmm. So I, I do think it needs to be appropriate. Yeah. Uh, um, I've, I've written about this as well, like about this, this sort of oversharing because it, sometimes it, it can be a way of of um of getting attention for the wrong for the wrong reasons but and of course ideally you don't want your ceo to basically be a complete mess you know what i mean <laughs> exactly <laughs> so um but the other thing that you said that that we can talk about another time as well this this idea of uh organizational uh, courage so some organizations are learning how to do that so for example 
the Catholic Church, where they for, for years suppressed sexual abuse by priests, other organizations like universities where they have a lot of sexual harassment, some of them are learning how to deal with, 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 the, with the actual problems that are happening in the organizations. And some of them are still willing to, to like sweep it all under the carpet. Um, you know, I'm just reading about a, a case recently where a girl, she was raped by a boy and because he had a bright future, the school kind of just didn't want to make a big thing of it because he was I had a bright future future and they didn't want to damage their reputation mm. so i mean there, there, there's yeah jennifer fried who's a professor of she was at oregon university she's written a lot about this betrayal trauma and organizational courage it's a really interesting subject so as leaders i think we need to be aware of that stuff because we need to deal with the reality of bullying and abuse and sexual harassment in organizations because and racism all those things are very very real so um it's all very well to have a lovely sort of uh idealized version of how leadership should be and not think about those things yep i think i think there's an, an awful lot of truth coming to the surface right now olivia and and that's part of the challenge but if we can find a way both to acknowledge and to process it as individuals and as groups, I think this must be the way forward. So the, the, the final thing I'd like to ask you is, you know, then looking at leaders, because my sense is that we lack inspirational leaders to look up to who are able to lead us forward in some of the kind of things we're talking about. And I wonder who, and they, they don't have to be international leaders, but I wonder who you find inspiring in the leadership field. Um. So there are there are sort of few powerhouses like um, there's a woman called Kashi Urbaniak who teaches communication skills to women. Mm -hmm. uh, so often at work, people are undermined, uh, especially women like uh, trans people, all sorts of people get like undermined at work. And those moments, those daily moments where we can create, reclaim some power are really important. So Kashi Urbaniak is somebody who's just written a book about power, which I highly recommend, uh, which actually help us to deal with those day-to-day -day moments where we might freeze and lose power, where a man at work asks you a really inappropriate question and you sort of freeze and maybe laugh it off. And so they, it, it can, it's allowed to perpetuate. There's other people like uh, Cindy Gallup, who who's um, all who's um, you know she's a she's a big powerhouse uh, in America, uh, who also talks about like speaking your own mind, like don't try and be all nice, just say what you think, you know. And I think that's really important. Um, so to really help us in in the day to day, because it's all very well talking about theory, but those day daily moments where we lose power or we see an injustice, those are the moments where where actual change happens in the day to day. Well, what I'm going to do, Olivia, thank you for that, is um, put those uh, references to those people in the notes and anything else you'd like to share with people that we've talked about, mm -hmm. we'll put in the in the in the notes in the podcast notes. So, what what Olivia would be your final message to to listeners, and then how can people find you if they would like to follow up and learn more about your work? Uh, the final happy the message is about happiness. Like the the happier you can be 
the 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 you know the better you can be at your job and the less of a pain in the ass you're going to be in your personal relationships as well the kind of the nicer you're going to be around uh and the the, the more resilient and stress-proof you will be as well i think we're all gonna, always going to have stress but it's about finding your own sort of operating manual and like finding what makes you happy i know for you it's green tea and, and dark chocolate you know for me it's it's like bulletproof coffee and the most hardcore dark chocolate available to humanity which is 100 wow. percent. so it's like those things for me it's like tending plants i love just misting my house plants in the morning and you know spending you know listening to funky music that i like so it's those things that we we need to just remember those things and the happier you are the more more successful you're going to be so it all starts with you so that's that's my message basically I love it, Olivia. And you have echoed the sort of message that's coming out from many of my podcast interviewees. It's all about us. It's all up to us. So I, I love the fact that you've ended on that. And how can people find you, Olivia? Uh, so if anybody has a question of anything that I've mentioned, uh, feel free to drop me an email, uh, olivia at harleystreetcoach.com. My website is, of course, harleystreetcoach.com and LinkedIn is my biggest platform of about 10,000 connections. Anybody wants to connect with me on LinkedIn, uh, find me there and I'll connect with you. Olivia, this has been fascinating. I definitely want to have you back on because there's more topics for me to explore with you. But thank you so much for your time today. It's been brilliant. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues. Please do subscribe to the Barefoot Mediator podcast series. And if you would like to access my free video series for managing in times of change, challenge and crisis, and download a PDF copy of my book, How to Beat Bedlam in the Boardroom and Boredom in the Bedroom, please go to janegunn.co.uk slash video. The link is in the show notes.